0: This is an ABC podcast. Norman, I don't know if you remember Bianca O'Grady. She actually used to work with us at ABC Science, but she was tweeting today that every time she writes about the coronavirus antiviral Bamlanivimab, she ends up with Black Betty in her head, like Bamalam. And it got me thinking, I must have had my Sharona in my head for the first half of 2020.
1: Well, you know how good I am at popular culture. You're just going to have to... Remind me what my Sharona sounds
0: like. <laughs> well, it's my Corona, obviously. It's like, my Corona.
1: I can just feel myself in the mosh pit right <laughs> now. Yeah, going with this.
0: Oh, thank you for that visual. That's beautiful.
1: With my mask on, obviously.
0: Anyway, this is Sharona Cast, I mean, Corona Cast. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist, Dr. Norman Swan. It is Friday, the 4th of February, 2022.
0: So, Norman, I mean, I think most of us are pretty ready for this pandemic to be over. And it feels like globally there's whole countries that are kind of trying to make that decision for themselves. We've heard reports this week that Denmark has basically just stopped having restrictions. It's here, live with it. And as much as I'd love to feel like the power of positive thinking was enough to make this pandemic be over, I have a strong suspicion that it's not.
1: So it's very mixed, even in Denmark. The population is in support of it. They like the idea of opening up. And remember, Denmark opened up in early September only to find that they had a problem later on with Delta because they'd opened up too soon. But remember, Denmark's well protected against uh, against the disease because they're well vaccinated. A lot of this is about exhaustion. We are tired of being emotionally stimulated by the notion of risk. It happened in the 1918-1919 flu pandemic. 1920 was a very bad year for deaths. But people really didn't get as worked up as they did in 1918 and 1919. The Nobel laureate, Dan Kahneman, and his late colleague, Amos Twersky, researched this. They made their name in studying the psychology of risk and how you perceive numbers. Um, and another researcher, John Allen Paulos at Temple University, has shown that you, we don't really understand, we can't emotionally grasp very large numbers, very small numbers. That's why on CoronaCast, we've been talking about jet crashes because that's the sort of translation into dramatic numbers that create a sense of emotion. Uh, rather than being numb to large numbers. But really it, it's about, there's only so much emotional stimulation that you can take by the idea, and Kahneman and Tversky showed this, that if you perceive something to be a loss, that you're it's a risk that's negative in terms of your life, that you're gonna die from COVID, that creates a much stronger emotional impact than some good news about COVID. And it's hard to get over the negative stuff but eventually it wears you down. And the other thing that they talk about in the psychology of risk is the more you talk about something, the more you express the numbers, the more normalized it becomes in your head. That norming is really important.
0: Well, norming swan, I've got another question for you. So we don't want people to stay scared though. That's not really the job here. But the idea is that we're sort of still moving forward, that we feel equipped to face the challenges that That we're facing with this virus that hasn't gone away by itself. How do we progress without just? feeling like, it sort of sounded like you think people need to stay in a climate of fear.
1: No, I don't actually. But I do think that policymakers need to stay in that state. So I think that policymakers need to understand the psychology of risk perception, and they need to stand back from it and be prepared to communicate clearly when the risk rises again, so that you actually modulate this, so that when the risk goes down, Omicron's starting to pass, you take away the mass mandate, you do that, but you actually keep you, you make the public understand that you're on alert so that if it comes back again and it looks like being serious, we will actually have to go back to masks and social distancing and you might need another booster and you think of your vaccine rather than saying, look, it's all over Red Rover, don't worry about it, we're on the home run here. So it's up to policymakers to be mature and separate themselves from the psychology of risk and understand that and modulate their communication.
0: And we had the head of the WHO, the World Health Organization, talking about this just this week, sort of encouraging countries not to just stop caring about COVID cases yet. And he was saying basically what the Osage group here in Australia have been saying for months now is that countries need to be using every tool in their toolkit, not just vaccines.
1: That's right. Right. Um, so vaccines are going to help, they're amazing, it's helping Denmark, it's helping us, but that ne- won't necessarily last forever, and on Monday we're going to have a, a show on the antivirals, and it's not all great news with the antivirals either, so you can't rely on just medications and medical technology to get us through behaviour, is what's going to count here too.
0: And so, yeah, in Australia, we do have a really, really high level of vaccination now. Um, When I had my Pfizer vaccine, I had a three-week interval between it. But there's new research saying that actually maybe a longer interval might have given me better protection, which is really important for the parts of the world that haven't had good vaccination coverage yet. Yeah,
1: this was a study of healthcare workers. Some of them had um, a short interval or a standard interval between their Pfizer's. It was right about 35 days. That's where... the statistics landed um, for the standard interval between the Pfizer doses. And then the delayed interval was around about 88 days, so nearly three months, and they compared the two. And what was interesting was when they looked at the antibody results, so you got a better antibody response in the ones who had the delayed interval vaccine. And that was particularly the case with an antibody to what's known, known as the receptor binding domain. And this is the critical part of the spike protein, which docks into our body. And some vaccines, the second generation vaccines, are really focusing in on that receptor binding domain rather than the rest of the spike protein. In fact, my understanding is that the Doherty protein vaccine is a, is a receptor binding domain protein. That's a really good thing because that should give you a wider Uh, range of immunity to a wider set of variants. And in fact, they showed that in this study that alpha, beta and delta were better dealt with after the delayed vaccine.
0: Is that because the receptor binding domain is such a critical part of the coronavirus that it doesn't mutate as much as other parts might?
1: Well, it is critical and doesn't seem to mutate as much. That's right. Um, So far anyway. So it, it seems to be reasonably well preserved is my understanding of it. The other interesting part of this was that The cell-mediated immunity, sorry to be so technical, there's two types of immunity here that we're talking about. The rapid immunity that's generated by antibodies, um, which are chemicals in the bloodstream which go and attack the virus. And then you can get the white blood cells attacking the virus or the cells that the virus has invaded themselves. And that's called the cell-mediated response. And that's thought to be what protects you against severe disease. And in fact, the cell-mediated response was similar in either the standard interval or the delayed interval, which is actually good news because those of who, people who've had the standard interval are still, and we can see that anyway, still fairly well protected against severe disease, at least up to, up to Delta. And I think that one of the things that we could probably take away from this, first of all, as you said rightly, it's about the global situation. Should you, in countries where they've got low rates of immunization and just getting going, go to a, a, th- a longer three-month interval? But also in Australia, we've got kids None of these people in this study were kids, but you, the eight week gap with five year olds, five to 11 year olds, might make a lot of sense here. And it's probably one reason why Attagi recommended that eight week interval is that you're likely to get a stronger immune response.
0: Right. So it's not that it's what would have made it the eight week interval here in Australia, because this study's only just come out, but it sort of confirms that we probably took the right uh, guess at the interval kids.
1: I think there's lots of circumstantial evidence and data points from uh, around the world, which looked as though just delaying a bit made would make a big difference.
0: So Norman, I've got some questions for you today. And let's start with one that really talks to what we've just been saying now. Someone's asking, are we really at Omicron's peak? Case numbers might be lower, but aren't testing rates too? How do we know for sure that there's actually been a drop in cases and it's not just an artifact of the fact we're not testing as much?
1: Well, if you go back to the early stages of the pandemic, particularly in China and elsewhere, it was made, and when we didn't have widespread testing, it was measured in terms of hospitalizations. We knew there was a problem with hospitalizations. So hospitalizations are tailing off. Deaths are continuing, and that's a serious problem. So you do get a very blunt sense of it. If hospitalizations are going down, stabilizing and going down, then it's highly likely that the, the, it's past its peak.
0: Well, I promised you that there was more than one question from an audience member today, so let's do a mini round of quick fire Friday, Norman. My first question for you is, can a person be infected simultaneously with two or more strains of coronavirus?
1: The answer is yes, they can. It's not very common, and there've been reports pre-Omicron of this, and there are some anecdotal reports of uh, during Omicron of people being infected with both Delta and Omicron, and some people are getting really quite seriously ill, and some of those are in Australia.
0: Andy's asking, why aren't COVID cases exploding in WA like they did in other states when they started having community spread of Omicron?
1: A couple of things going on in WA. One is we're probably not sure exactly how many cases there are. There may well still be cases in the community that are not detected. But your test, trace, isolate and quarantine, in other words, your contact tracing is much more effective when you're under about 100 or 50 cases a day. You can really get onto it and start slowing it down while you give people boosters and also, it can be multiplying in the background. So remember that exponential growth looks slow to begin with. And that graph, so if you've got reasonably rapid du- doubling times, it still takes a while before you get onto that hockey stick going up sharply. So they could, under the surface, have exponential growth, and but they haven't yet got to the point where a doubling starts to look like a real hockey stick, even though it's been the same doubling rate all along. It's just that when you double two, it only goes to four. When you double 100, it goes to 200. And you get very large numbers very quickly. And that could be happening there too.
0: Someone's asking, will Novavax be offered as a booster?
1: That's the plan. But the data that the TGA has had is about as a primary vaccination. So in other words, the provisional approval is for Novavax to be given as a primary vaccine. As a booster, I think we're going to have to wait until that data comes in.
0: And one more from Zoe. Can you be asymptomatic and get long COVID? And she says, could this explain why I'm so tired?
1: It's very much less likely. The, the biggest risk factors for long COVID are the severity of the disease. So yes, we've heard a lot that you can get it with mild disease and it can be a surprise. And it's possible to get long COVID when you've been infected, but don't really realise you've been infected. But it's far less likely. So if, if you're tired, if you're losing weight, if you've got bruising or anything like that, don't assume you've got long COVID. Get checked up because there are lots of reasons why you can be tired um, apart from long COVID
0: including being two plus years into a global pandemic. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast, this week's CoronaCast. But like Norman said, do tune in on Monday. We've got a special guest talking about what could be the next phase of the pandemic and how we treat COVID. We've been hearing a lot about antivirals and we've got the guy who knows all about them to give us the download.
1: Yes. Are these the drugs that we can rely on moving forward to control the pandemic? We'll see you Monday.
0: See you then.